0: At Skyview, we strive to love God and others through generous hospitality and meaningful friendship. For more information about Skyview Church, please visit us at www.skyviewchurch.ca. If you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to 1 John 3, reading from verse 11 through to 20. And here's what the Word of God says. For this is the message you heard from the beginning, we should love one another. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil, and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death, and anyone who hates a fellow believer is a murderer, and you know that no murderers have eternal life in them. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for one another. If any one of you has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in you? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. This is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and He knows everything. Throughout Scripture, very often, faith communities need to be reminded of the message that gave birth to it. In our text, the Christian community in particular needed to be reminded of the true message, the orthodox message, if you will, that they received and that gave rise to their faith. This need uh, for... uh, a reminder came to them because of the presence of false teachers, people who had somehow taken the original message and, and just turned it a little bit. If you studied scripture, you would know that in the early centuries, there were variant forms of spirituality, some resembling Christianity, but not quite Christian. And as I read the background to this particular uh, letter I realized that there is varied perspectives on who these opponents were who these false messages or messengers or teachers were but essentially most commentators agree on this that the opponents can be characterized by a reliance on listen to this spiritual experiences and a gnostic, a gnostic type Gnosticism was not really fully-fledged at this time, but a Gnostic-type worldview. It led them to form a Christianity in which Jesus Christ no longer occupied the central position. I want to say it to you in a simpler way, that without Jesus as both the example and the enabler for our Christian life, we do not have Christianity resembling Him. In fact, this message is essential for us this morning because I believe not only in the early centuries were there variant forms of Christian faith or variant spiritualities, but that we are tempted today to remove the true message of Christianity from the heart of Christianity, making it more seem like it is real, but somehow missing the fundamental truth, the fundamental anchor, the central figure that defines what it looks like. Some people would say to us today that Christianity is about love and that, and that love means being kind and, and love means being generous and love means being accepting and love means that everything is okay because love is the ethic. But there is something about what the message tells us, the original orthodox message that anchors its reality in Jesus and defines for us what love is that says to us there is a deeper, more richer anchor to what we believe. There is a more comprehensive more broad, more, uh, more depth to the understanding, especially of what it means to love. Oh, love, what a wonderful thing. Oh, I, I, you guys are looking pretty serious here, Sarah. I, I don't know what's going on. Uh, are you guys doing okay? I left a gap here so I can be close to you in this road, just by the way. Uh, as I was thinking about this message, I thought to myself that, you know, Stu, you, you know, you've spoken on love. Some may even call you an expert on love. (laughs) You're married. You have children. You seem to be a kind person. But I have to be honest with you that as I thought about this, I thought that the the irrelevance of speaking on love is, is something that is more dominant, I think, in our Christian culture because we have maybe succeeded a definition of love that is more culturally informed than it is biblical. And so this morning, in a very simple way, and hopefully in a very effective way, I want to share with you what this message is that the teacher wants the church to remember, this message that is central to Christianity, this message that is rooted in the example of Jesus. The message of Christ was a message rooted not only in having faith in Him, but in the command to love. It is Jesus who said, A new command I give you, Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. I think the text this morning reveals a few things in particular. It tells us what Christ-like love is. It shows us the power of that love, and it reveals the evidence of that love. So here's my first point. What is Christ-like love? In our text, Christ-like love is defined first by what it is not. The example given to us is from the Old Testament. It is a story of two brothers, siblings... We, we could assume that, that the story that is being referred to is the same story in the Old Testament that reveals what happens even in a relationship that is supposed to be loving when hate enters in. It is the story of Cain who murders his brother Abel out of jealousy. The text answers the question of what Christ-like love is by defining for us what happens when love is absent within a family. It is significant that this example is used because 1 John is really about the Christian community. It is talking about how brothers and sisters ought to love each other. It is speaking about the dynamic that ought to be evident in your youth group, Jen, amongst the students there. It is speaking about the kind of ethic that should be present within the church. And the way that the author gets to defining love is to begin by telling us what love does not do. Love never deprives love life. Love never takes life. Love is something that exists towards the, the, the giving of life. And isn't it interesting when we read this particular text, and I will, I, it will get better, and everybody said, amen? Why do I do that every Sunday? But what the Scripture alludes to is the fact that, that murder or violence is the outcome of the absence love, Now, I know at this point in time, maybe some of us are not quite excited. We kind of figure that out for ourselves. But the Scripture goes further. It says that Christ-like love finds expression first and foremost within those who have made Christ the central part of their life. It is Jesus who said that the way that the world will know we belong to Him is indeed if we as disciples love one another. Can I I put it to you in words that make sense for us as a community this morning? Is that the way we relate to each other in this community of faith reflects and reveals more about who Jesus is than any actions we first do outside of this community of faith. That what begins in here is something that forms the true witness of who ultimately is our Father. In the text in part, He speaks of, of Cain as belonging to the evil one. When it's compared to Jesus, Jesus is our Lord and Savior, and we as Christians ought to resemble who He is. And when we love each other the way that Jesus gives us an example, our witness is strong in our world. Could it be that before we talk evangelistically or missionally, before we talk about outreach, before we talk about doing things in our world, that we must always ask ourselves the question, is Christ-like love present within the believing community? Now, it's one thing to say that. It's one thing to ask that. But what does Christ-like love look like? Already we've heard it's the absence of hate. It is life-giving. But we also know this. That to love like Jesus loved does not mean that we would not suffer the pain of a hating world. The biblical definition of love is not only defined by what it is not, but given a context within the prevailing culture of the day. Such love, when existent within the community, does not imply that hate will not impact us, that the actions of those who do not seek to live as Jesus will not have an impact on me. And yet we realize that as Jesus is our example of what Christ-like love is, He has proven that even though He, being the most noble and innocent and virtuous person that we know of on this earth, was not spared the implications of sin and hate when He died on the cross. Christ-like love is not like anything we can experience in this world It is not like anything we can conjure up. It is not like the way we love. It is ultimately self-giving and self-sacrificing. But maybe for some of us who are smart, we've already figured some of that out. And the question that we may have for Stu this morning on the text is, how is such love powerful? I... uh, got to be honest with you that when I lay down on my bed at night, it's probably the moment I feel least powerful. Can I get an amen? amen. I mean, when I put my head down at night, I, I, I just kind of go, I need this. I don't know if I have an inordinate affection for my bed, but I'm I'm close. And some of you understand what I mean when you've just had one of those weeks or those days where, you know, you just go, this is going to be refreshing. This is so good. In fact, I have often said to myself, this is the best moment of sleep, the moment of anticipating it. Because when I wake up, it's gone. (laughs) Enjoy that moment. The reason I make such a silly example is because the scripture says this. We know what love is in the example of Jesus who laid down his life. The idea of laying down one's life does not seem to be powerful in the least. The idea of surrender, the idea of giving up, the idea of laying down. Now I want you to to hear me very clearly on this. The scripture does not say that his life was taken from him. There's no scripture that says that. The scripture says that Jesus willfully laid down his life. And that this is how we know love if we are willing to do the same. That the power that comes through the love of Christ is not the power that grabs, assumes, conquers, fights, is rooted in hatred or in power or in subjugation. But it is the power that comes from the person who looks to Jesus and sees the example of someone who laid down his life and then challenges us to do the same. To surrender one's life is the power of the love of Christ for the sake of the other. But what does that mean? I mean, we can use great words in church and say, you know, we should, we should surrender our lives. We should give our lives over. But what does it mean for you and me this morning to give our lives over? It means very simply that we lay all priorities aside for the priority of the will of God in our lives. It means that we look honestly at every endeavor, every aspiration, every passion, and we ask ourselves the sobering question, does this surpass the primacy and the demand that the Christ on the cross makes of my life? The question can be phrased a different way. Am I willing to give my life over, if need be, for the sake of following Him? Is there things in my life, people in my life, aspirations in my life that are superseding the primacy that God should have for my life? Maybe another way of asking the question is, what would I fear most losing in this moment? What am I holding on to that is revealing in my heart that this surrendered life is not yet the reality for me? You know, um, this variant forms of Christianity. Some deprived Jesus from really being human. Others put an overemphasis on the Spirit, saying He was never really human. But in all the controversy of the early century, we see in our contemporary culture a way in which we too are tempted To remove the real demand in this world to surrender our lives, not just spiritually speaking but practically and incarnationally. You see, um, all aspirations, all desires, all passions, everything that you're thinking of for your life, everything that you've planned for your life, these may not be bad things, These may not be things that are sinful, but the question that I think we must ask ourselves, are they second or first? Have I fully surrendered my life to Jesus? So much so that he has the right and the privilege to lead me where I may not even want to go. So much so that I consider what I possess both in resource, in talents, and abilities, not my own. So much so that when I kneel before him, I remind myself that to be Christian is to surrender my will, to give up my rights so that he may have the right to my life. The kind of Christianity that seeks that kind of commitment is the message that the author is bringing to this Christian community. I was reminded of the power of Jesus' act of surrender on the cross recently when I attended a conference here in Calgary along with Jeff. There was a speaker there. His name is John Ortberg. Some of you probably know him. He is a clinically trained psychologist and pastor. Kelly, I'm talking about calling this week. Psychologists can be pastors. But pastors cannot be psychologists. In a brilliant reflection on the impact that Jesus made upon the world, this is what John Ortberg said, and I just capture some of his words. He says this He says, Jesus gave the world its most influential movement. Where, before the church, was there a movement that wished to include everyone? It was his idea. No Jesus, no AA, and no 12 steps. Jesus changed how we think about history. We give our kids names like Peter, Paul, and Mary, and we give our dogs names like Caesar and Nero. Jesus expressed how we shape compassion, the Jesus movement shaped education. Education honors God and allows us to think God's thoughts for us. Jesus revolutionized the arts. The Jesus movement changed political theory. Jesus changed how we think about human rights and dignity. Jesus uniquely taught to love your enemies. The discoverer of the role of forgiveness in human affairs was Jesus. The reason we marvel at him, at this man, is that his work is not here done. But all of this was made possible through one symbol and one act that of the cross and that of surrender the power of the surrendered life to transform all things is still evident today You know, we may live in a post-Christian culture, but no post-Christian culture can deny that its fundamental moorings has come from that Jesus who died on that cross. The impact of a life totally devoted to God can be astounding. And it is that same impact that God wants to bring forth in the church today through people who are not marginally Christianized, through people who do not pretend to love, but who people who say, I know what Christian love is. Christian love demands my very all. This kind of love, this kind of surrender, this kind of putting my, my life in the hands of God, you know, has become awfully symbolic in our culture. It has become awfully now, you're philosophical. When we say it in the church, I wonder what we really mean by it. But do we say when we bow our knees that, Lord, I truly believe that whatever you want from me, I will do, even if it means giving up that which I most enjoy in my life for your purpose and for your goal? The way that the world will be changed and the way that culture will be renewed will not be through a marginal faith. It will not be through a marginal love. It will be through the love that calls for a total surrender and a Total giving up. Amen. Where are the people? Where are the people that do that? Where are the people who do that? You know who we call those people? We call those people crazy. You know, that's for some. That's not for me, Stu. You know I, I have Jesus on the side. I have a little bit of love. But biblical love is so much more demanding. The central figure of symbol of our faith is a cross and that cross begs us to lose our life to him. He's worth losing your life to. Maybe you fear it. Maybe you fear giving up some of the things. Maybe God has been speaking to some of us. You know what? I, I, I just would be honest with you, one of, the, one of the most juice-sapping things in my life is feeling like I'm a part of something that doesn't have any purpose. Anybody with me, you know? You know, if you've ever done a project and you go, I, I don't know if this project means anything, do you have any energy? You know, you just don't, you know? I think one of the reasons why parents continuously go after their kids is because we believe they're, they're, there's a real meaning, there's a real depth. But you know what? I've I got to say this to you about the church. I, I believe so strongly in the purposes of the church. I believe so deeply that God wants to do something through our community of faith. And as your pastor, I have to say, I'm deeply convicted this morning that the only way churches actually live like Jesus is when Christians truly put action to their words, when they don't only say that we lay down our lives metaphorically or symbolically, but it reveals itself in the actions they take. What would it mean for us? The uh, author says that this surrendered life transformed culture. The surrendered life is far more powerful than it appears. Jesus put it in a way that is sobering and true. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. I don't know what I'm speaking to this morning, but I want to speak to you as the church, including myself, and I want to say very clearly that these altars represent the surrendered life. It was at altars like this that men and women were called to deny themselves, to take up their cross, and to follow. I don't care what culture tells us about the effectiveness of the church. All I know is this, that when men and women bow at this altar and give their lives completely over, the life that is completely handed over to the will of God will have a profound impact and change the world. I wonder this morning if there's some of us who need to make that surrender. You know, don't try and fit Christianity in anymore. You know, don't, don't try and make Jesus a part of your life. How about you give your life over to him? Young people, how about this morning you lead some of us as, 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 as adults? How about we lead some of us as parents? And, and we don't just declare this morning. We don't just sing it. We don't just pray it, but we live it. You know, I, I've been accused as a pastor that I'm idealistic. I take that as a compliment. I've, I, you know, I've, I've been told in, in my life, you know, I appreciate your heart, Stu, but you're, you, you know, let me give you the, the real reality. Let me tell you that the world is such a broken place. There's so much pain. There's so much sorrow. The, 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 it, it's insurmountable. You know, the, the best we can do is just kind of be nice you know just just relax enjoy i can tell you honestly and i hope you will believe me that i do enjoy life i laugh a lot people sometimes even laugh at my jokes but i pray daily and i want you to hear this that god would never let me lose the idealism and the optimism that Christianity can change the world. I pray that as your pastor, as your pastor, that the expression of my laid-down life reveals itself more and more, and my wife and I have conversations sometimes about what that means for us, what God is calling us into. I will say to you confessionally that I am willing in this moment, in all honesty and truth, to go wherever he calls me. And he has given me a wife that would be willing to do the same. I've learned, as young as I am, amen? amen. 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 Praise Jesus. That you can lose in this life you can suffer pain in this life. But there's a deep assurance that he's never far from me. And that the risk of giving up things to follow him pales in comparison to the rewards of having him pleased with me. I may not be speaking to everybody this morning may not be the most riveting message, but that's okay. Because the appeal cannot be compromised. The Scripture teaches us that surrender ultimately defines this life and shows that we belong to Jesus. And just because the author doesn't want to leave us with this impression that You know, he's he's asking us to give up our lives, and in our Western culture, that, as Kelly has pointed out, probably won't happen. We won't have to literally give up our lives, but as I read the Scripture and realized what the author was doing, he was painting for us a picture of what the woeful surrendered life looks like when it is not asked to give up its life. It is not living for self. Our eyes are open to the needs in our world. We do not pass opportunities to bless others. I like that the scripture I chose in particular and the version of it uses the word material possessions and not riches, because when we hear riches, 95% of us say that doesn't apply to us. But here's what it says. If you have material possessions and see your brother in need and have no pity on them, how can you say that the love of God is within you. This surrendered life demands that we would not only have our eyes open to needs, and I thought to myself, you know, there's ways you can decide as a pastor to end the message. You can invite people to come and pray, or you can invite people to participate, and in the most simple way I know is to get non-perishable food into boxes for those who do not have the privileges we have. But but that's a drop in the ocean. That, that's a small way maybe to become catalytic, this Advent, the, as we approach Advent. Isn't it amazing? We're almost in Advent. Did you realize that? Christmas is around the corner. But, but wouldn't it be a wonderful thing if this Advent we are immediately posturing ourselves, not towards the self? Can I say some things to you as families? Draw a line upon how much we spend on ourselves. Know when enough is enough. Learn to see the value of the relationships and the people in your lives. Let's say to children, learn that it's not just about you. May this Advent, the presence of Christ, break our hearts for more than ourselves, folks. May it break our hearts and make us compassionate about the world around us. May we find within this season the Christ on the cross who surrenders his life for the least of these. Let's not just love in words, but with action. I uh, want to close with a story, and everybody is delighted. It was many years ago now when I was just a young man. I had... I was going to say I had hair then, but you probably knew that. I... uh, grew up in a Christian home, in a Christian family. I knew religion, church. This is familiar territory to me, but at some point in my life, I, you know, I kind of dialed out from this. I know I'm speaking to somebody, and I lived my, my life away from the church. I guess at some point, you know, uh, as a child, I, I, I thought to myself that I was a young man, that, that I know what is best. I, I know where to go. I know what to do. I was leaving our home to go and enjoy a time with my friends when my parents invited me and I've shared the story before to pray with them. I uh, thought I'd grace them with my presence. I stayed. And in a moment that I can't quite articulate in words, God grabbed a hold of my heart, and in that moment, asked me if I was willing to give my life over to Him completely, no matter the cost. I said yes. My friends immediately saw a difference. They uh, commented on it. I started to preach, you know, in, 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 the, in the church back then, you know. If you had a pulse, you were going to preach, you know. And uh, I started to preach. And four months later, my family was killed in a car accident. And as I stood, it's a young man, four caskets, heart was broken I said Lord do you remember I said yes Lord do you remember that I made this commitment with you Lord do you remember as I looked at those caskets my pain and my confusion and my sorrow I did not know how a laid down life lives through loss and pain But can I say this to you? The surrendered life is the most powerful witness because it does so believing that God overcomes Satan, sin, and even death. And that I can lay down my life because I have a hope that transcends the hopes in this world. It is the hope of eternal life. It is the hope that is as real as it was to Jesus that is as real for me today. The reason I can lay down my life is I believe that no matter what happens to me, there is a greater hope in him. When Jesus is our example, he does not mean that we would not experience pain or have to endure suffering Neither does it mean that some people will not understand. You know, I I, I always think that doing the right thing should mean that everybody else should applaud me. I've come to realize it doesn't. I've come to realize that sometimes the hardest resistance comes from those closest to you when you desire to give your life over to Him. I don't know this morning whether... You felt that God has spoken to your heart, but I do know this. I have been obedient to him this morning. I do know that above all that I've said, that the one thing the Lord is asking of us is if we will lay down our lives as his church. Not just partially, but all of us. I I want you to ask yourself the question, How long has he been asking me to do this? How long has he been saying, "Don't just sing, I surrender all. Give it over to me." I would like to say to you that when you do that, that everything's going to go well. It's going to be awesome. I have a friend that has a mantra. His mantra is, "Just relax and let's be awesome together," That's his mantra. I have weird friends, but I wish I could say that everything will work out, but that's just not true. But what I do know is that such a life in the hands of God where the will of God is supreme is a life that matters. Do you want a life that matters? You know, one of the privileges of the past is I journey with people at different points of their life, and sometimes I journey with them at the end of their life. And it's funny how at the end of people's lives you, 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 you see that they get it most times. That life was never about all these other things. And the saddest thing at the end of someone's life is when they ask this question, I don't really feel that I lived the life I was intended to. It begins with the cross and the surrender of a people who says I give myself away to the one whom I can trust. Kelly, will you come and there's a song uh, by David Crowder. David Crowder couldn't be more different to me. He has the biggest afro I've ever seen. He writes good songs, good lyrics, and um, I want you to listen to the lyrics. Do we have the lyrics on the screen this morning? And maybe this is an opportunity for us to surrender to the will of God. You say, Lord, not my will anymore. I'm not going to fight you. I'm not going to try to fit you into my life. I'm going to say, as young or as old as I am, That all self is crucified by that cross. That I surrender all. No matter what you ask, no matter what you want of me, I will do what you want. And that might be a fantastically different life to what I have right now, but I'm willing. It may be the same life, but knowing that you are number one will change everything. Father, this morning... I thank you so much for the deep, deep truth from your word. There's no fanfare here this morning. There's no brilliance from a pastor. There's just the simple call of a loving Savior to say, love as I loved. Give yourselves completely over for the sake of the other. Be selfless. Be surrendered. For the surrendered life The life that is given away to the purposes of God can change the world. Father, help us to believe the dreams of the kingdom again as the church of God. Help us not to believe the lies. Help us not to believe that hatred should prevail. Help us to believe that people's needs can be met, that the hungry does not have to go hungry, that the poor does not have to remain poor, that the person who is naked can be clothed, that the person who is sick can receive the treatment. Help us to be the church that believes the surrendered life makes a difference for eternity in our present world. But these things will not happen when we are absorbed with self. We must give ourselves away to you. We must surrender all to Jesus. We must say, Father, ultimately your will in my life and nothing else and nothing less. May it be more than just a moment this morning. More than just a response. More than just words. May it reveal in how we live.